welcome to Tipping the Balance. I'm Katie Hickey, your host, and today we hear from the positive mindset coach, Sandra Ng. In this episode, Sandra shares some of her incredible life story. We discuss what it was like growing up Chinese in Scotland and the difficulties of always feeling different to her peers. Sandra shares how racism and bullying impacted her and touches on how her family dynamics led to her being raised by different Scottish families and starting to work in her family business from the age of eight years old. Sandra also describes the many challenges she's faced in her adult life and how her life experiences have helped to give her insight into the world of mindset coaching. We cover debt, unemployment, loss, infertility, and what are the factors that contribute to our mindsets and approach to life. Sandra's story is truly inspirational and I know you will love hearing her share her story as much as I did. Welcome Sandra, Sandra Ng from the Positive Mindset Coach. Um, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. I mean, I've had quite a bit of a break from um, doing podcast interviews um, for one reason or another and I have been trying to interview you for ages and ages. Um, <laughs> we met one another on an NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming course, and uh, we did um, some activities together. And uh, yeah, you just were so interesting. I thought I really have to get Sandra on the show. And here you are. Oh, You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah been a while hasn't it yeah <laughs> yeah no definitely I have been really excited to come and talk to you too yeah well I thought maybe as a starting point because I know there's quite a few different areas that we might delve into today um and it's I can't wait to hear kind of more about your life and growing up and all of these things that I know you've mentioned to me in the past but um as a starting point do you want to kind of give a bit of an introduction about what you do and maybe what positive mindset coaching is and just so people have an idea of um of, of who you are and, and what you do yeah sure so yes yeah, so I'm Sandra the positive mindset coach and what I do is I help people just really overcome all of that like silence that inner critic overcome all of the self-doubt and those negative thinking patterns and those limiting beliefs and stories that they tell themselves that are just causing them to hold themselves back in life, whatever it is. I know that sounds really vague, but basically (laughs) it's just helping them build more confidence and belief in themselves. A lot of my clients come to me because they're constantly, they're just not living a life that is sort of true to them. They are constantly putting themselves into sort of boxes trying to meet other people's needs and expectations. They compare themselves to other people. You know, lots of people pleasing, perfectionism going on. So lots of habits that are stopping them from moving forward in whatever direction in their lives. So I really help them just overcome that and break down. What what is it that's going on? What is it that you keep telling yourself that's holding you back? Which, I mean, it does just come down to them feeling not good enough. You know, that they're a failure, they're not good enough, they're stupid, they're worthless, useless, stuff like that. But then it's just recognizing how that's impacting them and the sort of negative thinking patterns and behaviors that they have and how that affects like different areas of their life. 
but there's a lot of self-criticism from people. They're always beating themselves up, giving themselves a hard time, but it can really lead to, yeah, just unhealthy habits where they're burning themselves out all the time. They're constantly overwhelmed and anxious and just really down on themselves all the time. So it's helping break down those patterns, but helping them believe in themselves and build that confidence, but also emotional and mental resilience. And then a huge part of what I do is around that resilience and it's helping people just accept themselves for who they are and where they are in life. Because like I say, they're measuring themselves against cultural and societal expectations all the time. Oh, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. I should be living my life this way because that's what all of these other people are telling me. This is what's going on on social media. And if I'm not doing this, then I'm not successful. And it's like, no, that's, that's not true. That's not what you should be doing. This is, you know, think about what it is that you actually want. What are your values? What's important to you? So I help people work that out and get real clarity on what brings them joy, what is important to them, helping them set those boundaries, but also just thinking about how they can just stop putting themselves into these boxes. And I know this sounds a bit cheesy, but it is that Mm. kind of live life on your own terms sort of mentality. But especially for those people who have been through lots and lots of just crappy situations Mm -hmm. in life, So they've been dealing with maybe a lot of change and uncertainty. Sometimes they just feel like life is rubbish all the time. It's been one thing after another. There's always like lots of different hurdles and things don't seem to work out. I really help them bounce back from those situations. And no matter, you know, what has happened to you, again, it's just accepting yourself for who you are and where you are and how you can, yeah, bounce back and cope and move forward. Mm. So... I do have a lot of people that come to me because, say, for example, they're similar to me, you know, not married, don't have kids, like I'm 41 now, don't have a house, all of this. But people really see that as failing massively in life. Mm. So I help them say, no, like embrace it. This is who you are. And you are not just because that's what's going on in your life doesn't mean that you're not good enough Mm. and helping them change the mindset around it. Yeah. And I mean, I, it, from what you've just described, it sounds like I, I can imagine pretty much almost everybody would benefit hugely from having a mindset coach. Cause I think some of the kind of common traps that you have described and falling into kind of uh, negative behavior patterns, et cetera, probably to some extent we all end up doing that, but either you know, most people maybe aren't aware of it or they don't understand, you know, how that's happened and then they just kind of blame themselves. It's a perpetuating cycle, isn't it, of uh, of negativity? And I think, you know, part of the focus of this podcast is about mental health and trying to, you know, learn things that you can do to tip the balance in your favour of trying to have, uh, you know, better mental health and all of what you've described just sounds really key to trying to find that yeah that balance um in in your life yeah and I think as well it's just because obviously it's positive mindset coach it's not just about thinking positively and so a lot of what I do is based around positive psychology and neuroscience and NLP and so on but I think sometimes what you get is there are these misconceptions in the mindset coaching world where it's all like, oh, yeah, just think positive and law of attraction. You can manifest this life that you want and go after all your dreams and goals. And it's I mean, yes, an element of that is technically true. 
but I think it can be quite dangerous in terms of how that is sometimes positioned to people because that can perpetuate that oh well I'm not doing this so again I am not good enough so for me there's things like you know toxic positivity which Mm -hmm. I like I'm very much stand against that which is people just tell it oh just be positive because that's not how life works so I am very much around helping people not be negative but understand that yes there's lots of negativity but that's okay because we're human Mm -hmm. and it's okay to feel feel vulnerable like people apologize all the time because they cry oh I'm so sorry for crying I'm so sorry for doing this they're always apologizing for feeling emotions in it's like it's normal Mm -hmm. or they compare themselves to other people where oh well my situation isn't as bad as theirs so I should be grateful and they don't allow themselves to feel some of the negativity and just sit with it and that can really put a lot of pressure on them because they think unless I'm 100% happy and positive all the time again I've failed or I'm a bad person mindset coaching it's a proactive thing it's Mm. around how can you just work on your mindset? It's about learning and growing every day. Whereas a lot of people, especially people I talk to when, you know, I might be chatting to them about programs, they're like, oh, well, I'm okay for now. I'm generally a positive person. So I don't need to work on my mindset. But like you say, it's not as simple as that. It's not Mm -hmm. just about thinking positive. There's so much that goes on. And like you say, people aren't even aware of it sometimes. Mm -hmm. So it's helping them realize where this could potentially be having an impact. And Mm -hmm. mindset coaching is something to... Yeah, it's like healthy eating, isn't it? It's something to do all the time. Yeah. And I had um, another guest, one of the first guests that I had um, on the show, um, Amy, and she's a a photographer um, and a brand photographer. She talked quite a lot about toxic positivity and she really, really hates that as well. Um, Mm. So we've kind of delved into that because it's something that we do talk about in um, my house quite a bit because I do have a f- feeling <laughs> and Fred my husband he won't mind but he does have a tendency I think to minimize um, uh, like ne- the negative things and think oh you know don't focus on the negative just try and think about the positive and stuff and it's like that can be so frustrating yeah. um, but no he's he I think you know we're he's not like that all the time but yeah you do get this sense of Oh, that if you can't see the positive, see the positive, or you can see it, but you just feel kind of overwhelmed by the. You just want to acknowledge that this is hard. Sometimes I, I feel like, oh, I can't. You know, come on, just slap out, slap myself out of it, sort of thing. Just you can get over this. It's not a big deal. And exactly what you said. Oh, some think of so and so, how much worse off they are. But, um. Yeah, it's just not healthy to keep doing that because you're just sweeping a lot of stuff under the carpet all Mm. the time, aren't you? Um, Yeah, and it's realising that you don't have to do that. Like, you don't have to be positive. You don't always have to be grateful. And it is around, yes, what is the lesson? What is something that we can take from that? How can we, you know, it's all this, oh, there's always a silver lining. Everything happens for a reason. Again, (laughs) no, because... And it is quite harsh because the other thing, you know, that we are going to talk about is, you know, IVF and infertility, which, as you know, is part of my story. I've been trying mm. for four years and I am supporting couples with their mindset through IVF because they feel a lot of the things that I already mentioned. But especially in that infertility world where people are like, oh, just relax. It will just happen for you. And all of, like, for example, if IVF doesn't work or 
you lose a baby or have a miscarriage. You'll just think positive, just to be strong. And it's like, you know what? Sometimes you don't have to be like that. You don't have to feel like that. And you shouldn't force yourself because at that point you're you're grieving. You're dealing with trauma. You're dealing with stuff that's really, really tough and difficult. And you need to process those emotions. You need otherwise, like you say, you sort of push them away. They might get buried somewhere. You don't deal with them in the right way. And this is no judgment because people, you know, it's entirely up to people how they deal with things and everybody's different. But there is a real danger in people, I guess, trying to say to other people, well, just be strong, be positive, do this and that, you know. Oh, you know, things will get better over time. And it's never intentional. The majority of the time, it's never intentional because these people are just trying to help. Mm. They're trying to encourage people. They're trying to help people just have some hope, you know, which is amazing. You know, they're trying to be supportive, but I guess it's around that education piece of helping people understand actually sometimes saying those things can make you feel invalidated. Mm. It can make us feel like our experiences aren't important, they don't matter, and that we should be just getting over things and moving mm. on. And why do you think that people tend to respond that way? Um, do you think that it's because they themselves feel uncomfortable and they're not quite sure how to handle you know, someone else's kind of big emotions? Or do you think that they are they genuinely think you know oh this is gonna actually help the the person who's who's sharing you know how they feel or do you think it's kind of a lack of empathy and being able to you know relate to to someone else like why do people tend to say oh well you know just think positive or oh it will be all right do you why do you think people do that So a mixture of everything you've just said. Sometimes they might feel uncomfortable themselves. Mm-hmm. They don't know what to say. So they will just say, they just immediately try and fix people. Mm. And that can sometimes happen. It's just how we are built as human beings. We try and, you know, maybe solve other people's problems, but we automatically offer advice, which can be unsolicited advice, which is another <laughs> thing. <laughs> unsolicited speak unsolicited advice or it could be trying to help that person other times it is a lack of awareness themselves in terms of what is actually going on maybe they just don't feel educated enough to talk about the situation especially when it comes to things like infertility and miscarriage people really don't know what to say unless you've been through it before um yeah some people probably do lack empathy but a huge part of it is probably down to again cultural and societal expectations like how were you brought up in your family like what did your parents and grandparents say what were people around you saying to you and you would have learned this as a child growing up so throughout life you would have just constantly heard this because this is how people are in society Mm -hmm. this is what they think is the right thing to say so that just kind of spreads and it's almost like the norm that this Mm -hmm. is how people deal with things and yeah with a huge part of the resilience work I always say to people that resilience resilience isn't about just pushing through it and like perseverance and staying strong Mm -hmm. because again that can have a huge negative impact on your mental health like Mm -hmm. physically mentally emotionally you can burn out you can really cause yourself some illness by doing that because again it's that I just need I should be strong I should be able to get through this but actually resilience is more about recognizing when 
it's okay for me to be vulnerable. It's okay for me to actually crumble a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't want to say like be broken because I know that's quite strong, but it's that kind of, yes, I can break a little bit. Mm. And resilience is about how I then get back up from that. Mm-hmm. how I can then cope from that but not just forcing myself through it but taking that time to step back and say do you know what no I can't do this I need to sort of focus on me for a little bit and if you're feeling negative emotions allowing time to process if you want to sit and cry for a day you know that's fine and yes it's about that balance like you say mm-hmm. it's recognizing when stuff like that can become really really unhelpful Mm. if you're caught into because it's really easy to get sucked into negative thinking patterns and cycles but it's almost developing that awareness where it's okay for me to wallow just for a little bit but I'm going to then get through it Mm -hmm. or I'm going to be able to recognize that I'm not coping and it's okay for me to be struggling and it's okay for me to tell people that I'm struggling there is absolutely no shame or guilt in that but then I'm aware of what I can then do to try and help myself whether that's Mm -hmm getting therapy speaking to other people looking after yourself that kind of thing Mm. and then learning from whatever situation it is that's what resilience is about Mm. and you mentioned um just then about kind of the cultural and societal um expectations and and people's upbringing and how they may have been spoken to as a child and that kind of got me thinking because I wanted to hear from you how you got to be working in mindset coaching and also you know to it would be really nice to hear a bit about yeah where you um, were brought up and the you know how you got from uh Sandra you know a Chinese Scottish um young woman then coming and becoming a mindset coach that kind of journey so would you feel able to talk a bit about how you got to where you are and 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 why yeah sure so the stories obviously there's yeah it's I do share this and to be honest with you I think some parts of the story I didn't realize impacted me until maybe the last few years mm-hmm. but basically the reason I ended up being a mindset coach in the first place is because it must be about five years ago I ended up having a mental breakdown and the reason that happened is because I had been unemployed various times like for the previous years before I'd had fixed term contracts but in between I was unemployed for like five six the longest was up to nine months and then the last period of unemployment was when I really ended up like it affected me so badly like mentally I started to have really bad anxiety I had really bad panic attacks which was new to me I mean maybe experienced bits of anxiety here and there but because I was pretty much just at home all the time not working I was putting so much pressure on myself to what I realized after getting therapy after it was I was basically trying to lead this perfect life of I need to have a job, a really stable job, a permanent contract, so I can then have so-and-so salary, so I can buy a house. So when we eventually have kids, I've got maternity leave and so on. So there was all of this pressure from society, from parents, from everybody, you know, that's always saying, oh, when you have kids, when you're getting married and all that rubbish. Mm. (laughs) So it was that sort of pressure and then I was just constantly trying to go for interviews. But at the time, you know, the, the market wasn't great because of what I do. It's quite specialised. And, yeah, that led to me having a mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. So 
I then obviously got help, eventually found another job. It was another fixed-term contract. And when it came to the end of that, all I knew was that I did not want to be in that place again. And there was absolutely no way I was risking my mental health. So I didn't want to be unemployed again. I thought, what do I do? And people had suggested to me, like, for years, oh, why don't you set up your own business? And I was like, no way, I'm not doing that. I'm not good enough to do that again, these limiting (laughs) beliefs. I'm not motivated enough. I'm too lazy. You have to work really hard. All of this. I thought also I thought you had to be a bit like, you know, Alan Sugar. Am I allowed to swear? Yes, you can swear. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, yeah, uh, yeah, no, no kids listening. But yeah, um, yeah, you have to be a bit of a knob to run your own business, basically. Because you see these things on TV, like, you know, Alan Sugar entrepreneurial types. You know, that's not me. And a basic a lot of it was I just thought, I'm it ultimately came down to I thought I was far too lazy and not motivated or disciplined enough to run my own business but then when it got to that situation I was like do you know what I'm going to give it a go what's the worst that can happen I'm just going to give it a try and the intention always was to do some freelance work until I actually then found another permanent job but then I did it and I was like oh this is actually it's not as difficult as what I thought I'm actually able to do it I started getting clients and yeah here I am like four and a half years later still in my own business and I don't think I'd go back to a job now because I've realized how much my mindset was holding me back um and then just to give another bit of context I have worked in people and organizational performance for a th- I'm showing my age now but I think it's about 20 years now so it's always been around sort of learning and development performance coaching consulting training that's behavioral change helping people and organizations change the way they think, change the way they do things. So I was always in that space. And I think that's when I did start to have that mental breakdown, it was a bit hard for me because I was thinking I shouldn't be like this. You know, I'm a coach, I'm a consultant, I'm confident. I stand up in rooms in front of people. So why is it that I now all of a sudden can't even leave the house because I'm so scared? Why is it that I can't even talk to people now? Because obviously that's what happened when I went through that episode and how it affected me mentally. Mm. but then I think from and yeah it's kind of I think at the time there was probably a lot of guilt and shame because I thought why know better than this I teach people to change their mindsets all the time why can't I do it myself Mm. but it's not that simple just because you know you're experienced you know you're human at the end of the day and I think that's what a lot of people not that they don't realize they're human but you know what I mean (laughs) it's the yeah, I think it's this pressure from other people to be a certain way or to live a certain way or to make certain choices or to live your life a certain way. And I realized that's what impacted me. And then through that, I realized that I had a real passion for sort of helping people Mm. in that space. But then, like you say, realizing throughout my life, all of these limiting beliefs and behaviors that I'd picked up and how Mm. it impacted me. So yeah, being Chinese, growing up in Scotland wasn't easy. So there was lots of bullying, lots of racism that experienced from a very young age. Mm. So I guess that causes you to think things like, oh, again, I'm not good enough. I don't fit in. I don't belong. And those are your basic human needs. So they're never met. And that's what led into me people pleasing, because I was always trying to get people to accept me and like me for who I was. Yeah. To the point which this story makes me quite sad because I think I only realized this a few years ago, but we were very, very poor. My parents had a Chinese takeaway, but my mum did used to give me like quite a lot of money for pocket money at lunch. So I think a lot of my friends thought we were loaded, but we weren't at all. Like there was like five of us that lived in a one bedroom council flat 
you know, we didn't ever have Christmas presents. We never went on a family holiday. We had to work in the shop. And I probably started working in that shop from about eight years old. And my sister was a couple of years older. Wow. Anyway, I realized that because I had so much money, I used to, like my friends, I used to go to the shop and buy them sweets and buy them treats and pay for their lunch and stuff. But I realized I was doing it because I was trying to buy their friendship because I thought it was the only way I would have friends is if I bought them stuff that they wanted. <laughs> so now I think about that from a very young age in primary school, I was doing that. And then I think it was only obviously after doing some of the mindset work, I thought, yeah, that, that is obviously, it's quite sad, but yeah. that's just how I felt. You know, I would fit wow. in and be accepted by other people. Mm. And do you do you have friends from growing up now? Are you still friends with anyone from school or? Um, not really. I think because I've been away from Scotland for about 20 years, but I never really kept in touch with, obviously, some people from primary school, we went to high school together. Um, so there's a few that I'm in touch with on Facebook and so on, but no real close friends. Um, and then a few from university and so on. Like some of my best friends from up there, I actually met them through this uh, church. <laughs> so yeah, my story is very, there's lots of different elements. James <laughs> sometimes thinks that we could like, you know, make some sort of movie out of it or something. But yeah, we went, I went through this period of obviously racism and bullying and having to deal with that with my parents working very hard, but also when we were really young, my mum and dad had to work in the shop. So my sister and I actually were brought up by Scottish couples. So we would sort of get shipped off to them for long periods of time. And we wouldn't always see our parents because they obviously had to work. And we'd sometimes get sent off for the summer and so on. And maybe only see our parents like random weekends. Mm -hmm. So I guess there was that. Yeah, it was that kind of growing up that was very, very different. Were they people that you knew? How did that work? Yeah, so they were friends of my dad's and then he'd become friends with them and they offered to look after us. So they, so we call them like our Scottish family, but the lady who looked after us, we even called her mum, you know, oh. like mum Garfley. I mean, she passed away a few years ago, which is quite sad, but I guess oh. what you would say in the sort of therapy world is they were our caregivers, you know, for most of our lives. So we had the Scottish family, we had our own family, and then we did have grandparents and so on, but it was a very different upbringing in terms of what everyone else at school, you know, we just, they were all going on summer holidays, they'd get Christmas presents, we had to work Christmas day, we had to work every weekend, like we didn't have experiences like other people had. Mm. So yeah, and like I say, never having Christmas presents or birthday presents or anything, it was just mm. very, very different. We did have Chinese New Year where we got a week off school, which was good, and that was different. <laughs> Like, yes, we can have a week off school and you can't do that. And so there was different things, but it was hard trying to, because I guess you just always feel different. You always yeah. feel like you just don't fit in. And I think that was a huge thing. Um, mm. But then I suppose in a way, Chinese culture, it's always about working hard. Mm. So that again, can form these beliefs where as I've grown up, I realized that that's where some of my perfectionism came from because with mm. Chinese culture it's always like be the best like be the absolute best if you get 95% in a test oh why didn't you get 100% yeah mm. it's that sort of mentality you know always going after the best jobs and so on so again that can also fuel that I'm not good enough yeah. I need to do better 
And how did that affect your relationship with your mum and dad, your you know, your biological mum and dad? Are you um still are you close with them now or did did the way you were raised affect your relationship? It's quite strange because with the my mother there is a very sort of strange so my dad's actually not around anymore he passed away about well it'll be nine years coming up for now I'm unfortunately sorry. he passed away with from cancer mm. but um yeah very sort of and again I don't think we realized this till we grew up but my mum is it's not a lot we're not gonna be able to cover this on the podcast yeah <laughs> there's a very strange relationship there she's our mother and of course you know, we love her, but at the same time, we do not have a close relationship with her. It is a love-hate relationship. There is a lot of anger and resentment and difficulty in that relationship in terms of how she is as a person, which we're not sure if it's down to her own, you know, mental things that she's got going on, mm-hmm. whether some of it is just how she is in terms of just very much lack in empathy. She's never been a mother to us, basically. Mm-hmm. And with not a proper mother like my dad did everything he did most of the looking after but even still I think there is definitely a difference in terms of how our relationship is with them in terms of like if I see James's relationship with his parents or what you would say is obviously oh a normal relationship which I know there's no normal (laughs) you know when you see other people that have these relationships with their parents like ours was just not like that at all Mm. so whether that's a Chinese thing or it was just our specific situation Mm. um so there's no really mummy daughter bond there there was a bit of a father daughter bond but in terms of the the mum thing Mm. that's not been there and I'm not sure if that's necessarily due to the fact that they didn't bring us up I think this was just things that were perhaps how it was going to be anyway if that makes sense yeah yeah no I I do I mean I guess it's quite a unique set of circumstances but anyway from what you've said about you know maybe your mum's own kind of personal struggles and the way she interacts with people it may have yeah like you say it may well have been like that even if the set yeah. of circumstances that you were raised were were different but um yeah, and yeah that's of, sorry no 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 I was just I was just gonna say that that's it's quite a lot you know to um to have been through um a childhood like that and like you say with the racism and bullying and not feeling like you fit in um I mean do you feel that you have been able to work through those experiences or does it still affect you today? I think it affected me for a very long time but obviously since doing the mindset coaching and having my own therapy and stuff like that and just as I've learned and grown and obviously I help my clients with stuff like this as well Mm. I've worked through a lot of it but yeah of course there's probably still some stuff that I've not even realized yet that might be buried that might come out and you know so that process of healing from it is obviously a long journey but I would say that some of it I'm accepting of but other times it can be quite upsetting for example we saw my mum last week and she again was just causing issues and ended Mm. up in tears and it was quite tough and she doesn't actually know about the IVF or the fact that I lost a baby a few months ago because it's not the sort of thing that I can talk to her about. So that can hurt quite a bit, which yeah. obviously I'm working through. 
And obviously my dad's not around either, so I don't have parents that I can talk to about this. Mm. So that can be quite upsetting. But again, I'm sort of on a healing journey with that. Again, speaking to my therapist about it and looking at how, because I, I guess in a way, because you're sort of used to it, if that makes sense. I'm used mm. to life being that way. Mm. But yes, of course, it can be a trigger at times and can mm. sort of remind you of some of the trauma and you know some of that stuff that I wish potentially was different but equally I don't let that affect who I am Mm. or you know there's no shame or guilt in that no but um yeah it, it can be a little bit tough at times but it's not you know it's this mother wound stuff that obviously you might be familiar with and Mm. yeah because at the end of the day, she's she's our mother and we still chat to her and stuff like that. Obviously, we see her now and again. But yeah, the relationship is quite strained. Yeah. Um, that must be hard. I mean, to yeah, not feel like you can really talk to her about anything that's actually important going on in your own life I know you say you know yeah you've you've kind of gotten used to that but I guess for a lot of people um if if they knew you know the details of your kind of IVF journey and how what a big kind of feature that is in your life it's it's must be yeah I guess that just shows how your relationship is then with your mum if you 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 don't talk to her about that that must that must be quite difficult um I mean, do you do you want to talk a little bit about the IVF? Because I know you are offering um, coach IVF coaching for for other couples or um, women or people going through IVF, and I guess that is actually quite a particular type of you know coaching. Or, and because you've had personal experience of IVF um, and 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 loss and I'm really sorry that you um have lost a baby recently I know that that's really difficult um how how does your IVF coaching and your own experience kind of feed into how you support um other other people going through it I think I think it was from that realization early on where we realised there was a bit of a lack of support for men around IVF and infertility. And again, it's the whole mental health stigma and how people talk about it and perhaps men being able to talk and process their feelings. But also it was around like just the way, I mean, I can't say this for all clinics, but how James felt during that process, like almost like he was just a spare part Mm. you know sometimes how he was made to feel from some of the clinics and so on so there was that but I also recognized that being a mindset coach and how we then process information how we dealt with it that we seemed to cope maybe slightly better or we just didn't view things in the same way or maybe didn't find things as hard as what other people did and IVF can be all-consuming and what we see from a lot of people is that it completely takes over their lives which yes it does because it does take over our lives at times but it's that whole thing around it doesn't have to completely consume everything you don't need to spend every single minute of every day being consumed with this whole world of IVF and it is hard but there's so much 
I guess it's a bit, it's negative, it's draining. And then how people are coping with just dealing with that journey. So because obviously with my whole mindset journey that I've been on, and yeah, I can share a couple of other things about my story soon, but it's just that whole resilience of thinking about how do you deal with these really tough, challenging situations in your life where everything is so uncertain? It's like an emotional roller coaster. There's all these thoughts going through your head, especially in IVF, where it's, I'm a failure. I'm not good enough. This is my fault. You're blaming yourself if it doesn't work. You feel like there's something wrong with you. It massively affects your identity. Mm. And then you start thinking about, well, what is the meaning and purpose in life if I can't have children? Mm. So I think for a lot of that, and just again, because like I say, me and James aren't married, you know, we don't have, we still rent our house. I'm 41, he's younger than me and so on. But all of these thoughts, which yes, I absolutely had years ago, but that I have now learned to just accept that just because this is what's going on, it does not mean, it's not a reflection of who you are. It doesn't mean that you're not good enough and it doesn't mean that you're failing at life. So it was trying to help people just change their mindset around that and just feel a bit more acceptance of their situation, not feeling positive about it (laughs) and being like, oh yeah, just be positive and be strong, but actually being able to realize like, yes, this is really, really shit, but it doesn't have to completely throw your life or impact you in all of these ways where, for example, pregnancy announcements people find it really difficult to deal with pregnancy announcements and yes sometimes they're hard but for some people it wipes them out for days where they're just constantly in tears for days or people that are now cutting themselves out of their lives like friendships and family where they are isolating themselves because people are having babies and it's ruining friendships and family sort of relationships Mm. or sometimes and again I know that certain people might not agree, but there is there are certain things in the infertility world that I guess aren't always helpful either mm-hmm. that people sometimes accept and say, well, because we're infertile, it's okay for us to do this, which I'm not, again, no judgment. People can do what they want, but I suppose it's that awareness of actually, are there things that we are doing that are perhaps unhelpful that are making us feel really, really shit when it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be like that? And we can maybe just try and overcome that to reduce that overwhelming stress so what what could be an example you you just said that for couples that are you know going through infertility that they might do things that um is not necessarily good for them what like could you give an example yeah, so it could be things like uh, Googling every single thing and okay. <laughs> going into lots of, like, so we didn't go into any support groups when we were going through IVF because, and again, no judgment on people that do this because it's entirely up to them and it's whatever makes them feel a little bit more in control or a little bit more safe because that's basically what it is. Mm-hmm. But also realising that that can cause even more uncertainty and overwhelm. So if you go somewhere and you ask information like, oh, what supplement should I take or I'm doing this, what's going to help? And when you're getting lots and lots of information from people that A, every single person has got a different body, different hormones, mm. different circumstances. So what works for one won't work for another. There's lots of myths out there, lots of inconclusive evidence. But what people do is they do absolutely everything in their power to try and get it right, like 100% perfect. Because there's a lot riding on it, which I get, because we were like that the first time a little bit. But also it causes so much overwhelming stress. So it's almost like step away from the internet. <laughs> like, <laughs> don't, 
it is it's like getting caught in that social media black hole isn't it mm-hmm. so before you know it you're seeing all this stuff you're comparing yourself to other people oh they're doing that and it's worked for them why isn't it worked for me it's because there's something wrong with me mm-hmm. oh wait a minute let's try this instead let's try it. so you're trying all this and you're in this forever cycle of beating yourself up over stuff which isn't even in your control because no. when it comes down to it and I know this might sound harsh to some people but it is it's like scientific biology whatever mm-hmm. like you can try as much as possible to influence it but the outcome is out of your control but people again it's just how they view that and what that means to them when it doesn't work which yes it's heartbreaking and I know that from obviously having been through that twice so there's certain things like that or another example could be like during the two-week wait you're you're given a date to test mm-hmm. <laughs> but people will start testing the very next day after having an embryo transfer Aww. so for example there's just constant testing every day getting a negative negative test Aww. so you can imagine what's happening then to your body and your brain and all of the stress hormones you're releasing mm. and how that's affecting you emotionally and mentally because immediately you're like oh it's negative it's negative Mm. so you're kind of putting yourself through heartache every single day like heartache and trauma every single day and again I say this with love there is no judgment if people Mm. do that you know that's fine but I guess it's realizing that I know you're really keen to find out if this has worked but actually just just wait Mm. (laughs) it's because it's 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 obviously regardless which choice you make it's going to be full of anxiety and stress but obviously one of them is potentially putting yourself through a lot a lot of heartache mm. but again this is just how we're built as human beings and sometimes this is what we feel we need to do to you know sort of feel a bit more in control but mm. I guess it's just trying to think about it's like step away from the pregnancy test mm-hmm. but it's not easy I know it's not easy it's really not easy to try and do that when you know you're in that situation and um at kind of at the beginning when you were introducing yourself and talking a bit about your mindset coaching you talked about how uh, actually a lot of it's based on kind of um neuroscience and physiology and what you've just said there about the the effect of the kind of mental stress do you do you think that there is a an obvious link between your kind of mental well-being and physical health um I mean because that's something that gets talked about quite a lot and I um I think I mean I think it for me anyway I I think there is a link there but I what I get a bit scared of is people again it's linked to that toxic positivity of people saying oh just stop thinking negatively because it's making you ill or you know and all of this stuff so what do you what do you think about that? The kind of your your mental state or your mindset and how potentially that can affect your like physical symptoms? Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of evidence to support it where, of course, if you're in that constant fight or flight, you know, response, you're releasing a lot of toxic chemicals and hormones into your body, which can impact all sorts of things. So for example, like gut health, which I said to you, something Mm. that I've had ongoing, it can obviously impact your stress. But then that's where it's hard because, you know, when people tell you, oh, just relax and you'll get pregnant. (sighs) No, (laughs) it's like, it's not, it's not that easy. And yeah, there is a huge thing about trying to release all of this stress from your body and, there is obviously evidence to prove that it can 
help, you know, if you're more relaxed and calm. But at the same time, it's kind of like a catch-22 situation because IVF is one of the most stressful things that you will ever be through, mm-hmm. uh, go through, like mentally and physically. And it is, like you say, it's about trying to maintain that balance. So you're never fully going to be able to get rid of all the stress. You can reduce it. And there has been studies to show that it can impact fertility. But again, there's so much, so much evidence. And again, I am not speaking from lots of research I've done. This is things that I've seen. So some of this is perhaps more of my opinion as well. I just wanted to yeah, make yeah. that clear. But it's just, you know, there, there is a lot of inconclusive evidence around lots and lots of stuff. So yes, stress, obviously, there's so much science that says like mentally and how you think about things because it then can trigger like your sympathetic parasympathetic nervous system and so mm. on and all the hormones that are released of course that's going to impact mm. but yeah um another thing just that's... depending on what happens like yeah is that going to impact your IVF success rate because yeah. I guess where we come from it is that all of the things that you're supposed to try like they work for some people and they don't work for others so we did the acupuncture you know obviously had massages was meditating doing I mean yeah fair enough there might have been other things that I could have tried but I was doing that we were doing the fertility diet we were being really really good taking all the supplements and it still didn't work for us so Mm. and that's not to say it's not going to work for other people but yeah it's just being able to kind of look at it a bit more objectively and think about probably yeah how can you maintain that bit of balance? Mm. And um, another thing that struck me was um, before we started recording the podcast, you you said something to me about um, something a doctor had said to you. And what struck me was the, the what I would use, um, I would describe it as a poor, a poor use of language or definitely a poor choice of words and phrasing and the way that, medical professionals communicate with you um it's something that I'm really passionate about um, communication and um and obviously for you that's a big part of what you do um being a coach and you know I know that we did um our NLP diploma together so yeah language communication is just so so important how how do you feel your experience has been um, you know, from medical professionals or support workers, et cetera, with the way that they communicate and the type of language that they use? Yeah, I think there is definitely, because like the clinic that we used in the consultant, um, yeah, there were times when you did feel that compassion, but there were other times when everything did kind of seem very much black and white. And it was very much like, oh, well, you're getting old and you, your lady parts aren't working properly, kind of. Well, the exact ones, like I said to you, was like, oh, just indicates that things aren't working properly down there, mm. <laughs> you know. And it's like, yeah, thank you. I, I get that. But it was just saying it in that sense, which I felt was a bit like, hmm, all right. And yeah definitely a better choice of words and then there were other times I think where I suppose you felt like things were brushed off a little bit Mm -hmm. especially when we were asking them because I've got various other 
factors that could potentially impact. So when asking about that, it was all just very much like, no, you've got low egg count, you've got low egg quality. And oh yeah, nothing else. So it seemed very blase, like they weren't willing to investigate. So sometimes it was like, all oh, right, okay. And at the time, you don't know what you don't know. So we just took that as a given, but having now been through it and done more research and been in some of these IVF support groups, and that's why we're now going through all of our tests again and looking for second and third opinions and chatting to other specialists because there are potentially other tests that we could have had done. Mm. Who knows if that might have led to a different outcome? We don't know, Like you can never tell. And mm. that's not something that I'm going to dwell on and say, oh, if we'd known this, then maybe it would have worked because that's obviously not useful at all. Mm. It's just we've learned more. We've realised what worked, what didn't work. And we now have more information to go with. So we're going to investigate that but yeah sometimes and even James he felt sometimes the way he was made to feel at the clinic was kind of like it was all about me because I'm going through everything and I'm having to deal with all the injections and all of the physical stuff that he was just like like there to um do his bit in a plastic cup and that was it. <laughs> I was wondering how you were going to describe that bit yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trying to not be like a vulgar but yeah basically have a little date with a plastic cup and then <laughs> it's like oh that's all you need to do and like you're not actually any other use to us <laughs> so he he did feel like that and which... so as a result of his experience is he um because you two are actually in, kind of working together to support other couples and he would is his is his role to kind of be there to help the the men go through that journey is that is that what yeah. he's so it's a bit, yeah, it's kind of like a, it's providing support to couples from a couple, which is not something that you really get out there. A lot of fertility stuff is based around women to women. Mm. And also what's different is a lot of these fertility coaches have had their babies. They've had their success stories, whereas we've still not. So I think there's a huge thing around, you know, we are on the journey, but we're supporting other people as in, this is how we're dealing with it. Mm. This is how we're focusing on our mindset around it. And James is there to support the men, help them open up and talk about it, make sure they feel heard and that they're not alone and to make it a safe space. But then equally what we realise is, and I'm not saying that we are perfect or anything, but we mm. realise that there can be a lot of breakdown in communication in relationships between couples. Again, things that we've seen and heard where sometimes again not everyone but yes. I know some women will resonate is that the man isn't doing their bit because like they refuse to change their lifestyle or change their diet and they carry on drinking and the woman's getting really stressed and so on or sometimes the man like you say can be a bit toxic positivity telling his partner to oh just relax <laughs> stuff Aww. like that um and so I guess in a way there's there's sometimes unhelpful behaviors between couples yeah. Again, we're not perfect. We bicker and argue, but yeah. obviously, yes, both being NLP trained <laughs> and so on, but obviously with the coaching and yeah, from having therapy and so on, we, I think it's that support where, listen, you're both in this together. You've both got an equal part to play. And we find that sometimes equally the women can judge the men and the men can judge the women. And sometimes there is a bit of, I guess, not talking to each other about it. Mm, mm. Um, and I suppose, I don't, again, this sounds harsh, but it's kind of calling out that behaviour and making them aware, like, listen, 
actually this is how you can approach it instead it's not easy but mm. this is what's worked for us and we've been like we've been very open and honest with our communication from the start and how we deal with it like James has been amazing like so supportive with everything yeah and you know I I sometimes read some of these other stories and think oh actually I'm quite I'm quite lucky to have him again no judgment on other people and how they deal with it because it's hard and people can only deal with things like the way they've learned to cope with stuff yeah you as know, you said certain yeah. things happening in their life or things that they've learned and that's how they feel like they can cope mm. because that's how safe they feel in that moment or you know so on so again yeah. it's not a judgment but I guess it's just saying actually there are things that we've like we know that can help and can it's basically our mission is to try and make things a lot easier for people yeah it's never going to be easy because it's no. a really shit tough situation but if we can take away that overwhelm and the stress and the anxiety and just help you just enjoy your life a little bit while doing yeah. this that's what we're kind of here to do mm. and not just completely just keep giving yourself lots of like judging yourself and beating yourself up over it and feeling really stressed and overwhelmed all the time yeah and and on that note I I do like to always ask um, my guests you know what they do personally to to try and like you say you know have find a little bit of joy in life you know even if you're going through um, a lot of things um, you know like something as big as IVF obviously like you say it can be all consuming um and you know as you've described you know through our chat there's lots of other things also going on in your life at the same time it's not just the IVF so what do you do kind of personally to to take care of yourself and try to make sure because obviously your job is there to support other people because that's very Mm -hmm. draining as well so not only have you got a lot going on personally you're also working in a field which is is quite giving and can be quite draining in itself. So how do you make sure that you keep take care of yourself? Yeah, well, I do that exactly. So for the last six months, obviously, we lost a baby in January. So since then, I've kind of been sort of just going with the flow and I've not been pushing myself with running my business. I've done a few courses. I've had some coaching clients, but I've been really just, it's just having boundaries, really good boundaries around what I'm giving my energy to. But I am, like we both at the minute, we've been having therapy to look after ourselves. But we've been, it's been really difficult because of lockdown as well. And I think that's made it even worse because we weren't able to see our family and friends and get that support. Mm. But it is just talking to people, just having as much downtime as possible, like not beating ourselves up over things and then trying to just arrange little breaks when we can to get away get have a change of scenery and yeah enjoy ourselves like we we've always loved like going on little adventures going to hotels going out for nice meals and things like that so we've been doing that and yeah it's trying to bring in that element of fun because again we admit that we've not always you know, in terms of like having hobbies and stuff, that's kind of gone out the window. So it's just trying to do things that just make us, like can just take our focus off of it. Like we've been spending a lot more time outdoors, like going for hikes and walks and exploring the beautiful Yorkshire countryside that Mm. we kind of think this has all been on our doorstep and we've like never done this. So (laughs) that's one of those good things to come from lockdown, isn't it? And yeah, just doing things like that where we can just feel like, 
And some of it is a little bit about escape, but sometimes you do, you just need to escape from it. So mm. change of scenery yeah. and then massages <laughs> oh, that sounds when possible. Good. <laughs> and yeah, we're also doing a lot of like meditation, visualization, yoga, that kind of thing, mm. as well as just learning stuff. Because it's not all about bubble baths and, you know, self-care and things like mm. that. It's around what can you do to actively engage your brain in something else? Um, where can people find you? Where's the best place to connect with you? Um, at the minute, yeah, I can send you the links, but at the minute it's Instagram and Facebook. And I do have a Facebook group. And like I say, um, you know, I take her on one-to-one clients. I've got some courses and stuff coming out as well. But I think that I will be putting some new IVF stuff out there soon that's yeah. coming shortly in mm-hmm. terms of you know maybe a platform in a community where people can find us and some resources and little mini courses mm-hmm. and then obviously there's lots of mindset stuff out there because I'm not changing focus and only focusing on people that are going through IVF because like we said we don't want it to be something that takes over our life no so it's going to be a small part of my business but it's yes. not going to be what I do full-time because I equally need to have a break from that at of times. course and the reason that I am so passionate about doing what I'm doing around the mindset stuff, like I say, it was just this thing where um, I sort of alluded to it at the start, but, you know, having the bullying and the racism. And basically I had this life where it was constantly like one thing after another, after another, it was just, it just constantly felt like shit things were happening to me. Mm. And I think that was a massive story that I told myself throughout my life was like, yep, my life is just always going to be this way. It's just going to be really tough because I'm I think you know in really extreme terms I'm a bit of a loser and this is just what life is like Mm -hmm. and I think that came from obviously there was the bullying and the racism and I think I mentioned to this when we spoke before but I then my first relationship with my first boyfriend actually ended up being violent so that was like domestic abuse I was with this person for six years so again that can also add to things and then I came out of that and then it was things like lots of debt you know not Mm. even being able to like feed myself some months other crappy relationships after that and then I think in the space of about four years five years I lost quite a lot of people close to me so like I say those caregivers yeah and my dad and then other people and then there was the unemployment yeah (laughs) and then so yeah so it just seemed like there was always stuff going on like always really stuff tough stuff going on but I think realizing that all of that led to a lot of these limiting beliefs and how I saw myself and the pressure I was putting on and how I felt about myself Mm. which was kind of that oh yeah you're never going to amount to anything sort of Mm. thing um but then I've changed that because I a lot of people I think especially again people that have been through domestic abuse infertility racism stuff like that we can sometimes hold on to those stories that we've been told and that's how we see ourselves. Mm. And this is where I'm so passionate about. This is accepting yourself for who you are, where you are in life. It doesn't matter what has happened to you in the past Mm. because that does not define who you are now and you can change your story at any point. Mm. And that's what I help people do. It's like, we don't need to listen to that anymore. We can change it and try and, you know, create some new meaning around that. Yeah, I mean, when you said like, yeah, that one of your essentially, you know, core limiting limiting belief was that you just 
would tell yourself, oh, this is it for me. You know, I'm just a bit of a loser. Like I just seeing you now and hearing your story and um, yeah, just listening to you talk, I would, and I'm sure all of the listeners would also agree to think like, how could you possibly think that about yourself? Because you're basically <laughs> freaking awesome. <laughs> and look at you, you know, look at you now, like you're, you're helping other people and you know, what you've been through is not just one thing. I mean, there's just, yeah, there's so much there from, from a very young age. And like you say, just like one thing after another. So I think a lot of people will listen to this and really kind of feel uplifted and, and get a sense of hope, you know, that if you can go through all of those things, um, you know, and obviously, yeah, yeah, it doesn't have to be who you are for the rest of your life. And it's about seeing yourself differently and realizing that there is so much in you that you probably don't even realize is there. And that's why I use the sort of strength-based approach to draw that out of people. Mm. Like we're so busy focusing on all the negative stuff that we've got going on that actually there's so much amazing stuff there Mm. that just because you've had loads of shitty things happen to you, whether, you know, you've gone through a divorce or you're single or failed relationships or anything or been made redundant, like it's not a reflection of who you are and you can change how you see yourself and what that means. Mm. And, yeah oh, that's amazing <laughs> yeah thank you I, I think everything that you're doing is really inspirational and yeah I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing all the other things that you that you get into and um thank you so much for for spending the time to talk to me and thank you for rearranging multiple times <laughs> to, to get onto the podcast it's been really really amazing thank you so so much I know it's brilliant thank you for having me I know you're gay.